Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. All right, guys, welcome back. I'm your host, Tom Caffarella. We've got another great guest today, Jay Lee out of Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. Jay Lee, how's it going today? Pretty good, pretty good. How's it going with you? Good. Um, yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. I got you know a bunch of stuff about your background, but I know your background a little bit from doing some research, but let's kind of like start off from the beginning um, about like when you got into real estate, what it was like, and then you know we'll progress towards where you're kind of at today. When did okay. you get started in real estate? Um, so I came from the restaurant uh, hospitality industry and yeah. was looking for a change in careers. So I got into real estate and about a year and a half after getting into it, uh, everything tanked. Um, <laughs> so year and what, a half, what, two years. What, what year was this? Just so I can get it. Um, that yeah. was, I got in around 2005, to, end of 2005, beginning of 2006. Yeah. So, so, we, so we started, me and you basically, I got my license in 2005. Yeah. So we're we're starting at the same time. So the day you got your license, like me, everything was like bananas crazy. Yeah, gangbusters. You yeah. can walk outside, you'll make money, right? Yep. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, when it tanked, it had been so long, as you know, since people had seen that type of thing. Well, we had never seen that bubble before, but then everybody's trying to deal with it and cope with it and coming up with new ways. And most, I would say at least half of the industry cleared out, right? All yep. the agents went back to their regular, went back to a different job, something that was on salary. Um, and I think the ones that stuck around really had to um, had to get creative, you know, um, and where I started getting creative is going to networking events that all had to do with real estate investing. I thought it was more interesting anyway, but um, those were the only people that were buying, you know, so that's kind of what jump started my career into the uh, real estate investing side of things, you know, but I was yeah. determined that I got my license, I was starting something new and I wasn't getting out. I wasn't getting out. <laughs> I'm a little stubborn. So um, I stuck with it and just made, did my best to network my way through it. Now, so at that point, did you understand that, I guess, going more after the investing side was going to be the smart business decision? Or was it more that, you know, you kind of like found that out after you started getting success with it? I think it was more of, it kind of happened at the same time. I knew that that was something that I wanted to do eventually. I didn't think it would happen that early in my career, um, but I thought it was a lot more difficult. I was going to really have to do so much, you know, to get there. Um, and, you know, there's that whole, that, that first step's always the hardest if you're getting into real estate investing. I think more than anything, what ended up happening is with the uh, market the way it was and having so many investors out there that were the only ones buying, that was my only client. And so I was showing them and learning and reading and, you know, everything I could at the same time to try to get up to speed so I could do what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I feel I feel fortunate that I got into the market around the same time that you did and had, you know, somewhat of a similar experience. And um, you know, for me, more than anything else, it was like, 
we really kind of got the wind at our back because, you know, prices were as low as they were going to ever be. Yeah. Inventories as high as it ever was. And yeah, it was so it, it was like for me, I thought it was a good time to kind of get into the market. How were you at that point, like obtaining those clients? And how were you like, you didn't know a lot about real estate investing at that point. And I'm sure, you know, you must have been somewhat intimidated, like most of us are with investing in the beginning. So how did you find those people? And then how did you like get yourself up to speed as fast as you could? So finding those people was basically, it was a little bit harder than it is today. You know, today you've got Facebook, you've got all kinds of Facebook groups. You've got all kinds of, you know, you just get on YouTube and you can find a networking group or you can learn something. Back then it was a lot of, a lot of reading, a lot of networking events, trying to find, you know, people that were having those. And that was mainly word of mouth. You know, Um, we hadn't just infiltrated a bunch of social media at that point. So it was, it was mainly networking events that where I was picking up clients and sitting through all the seminars on different strategies um, and then learning with my clients as they're going out and we're searching properties and they're analyzing properties and I'm helping them as much as I can analyze those properties. And then with that, as the market started to turn um, and I got more and more confident in that field, then I was like, well, then it's time for me to jump out there and start getting some of these properties as well. So at that time period, when you were kind of in the beginning and you were working with these clients, were most of them planning to buy and hold the properties or flip them? Or was it a combination of the two? I think most of them were planning to buy and hold at the time because the seller's market wasn't you know, it was hard to sell something. Um, so they were looking for rentals because people were needing rentals. There were so many foreclosures, people needed a place to stay, you know, um, and you weren't as strict on your rental, you know, uh, criteria when you were moving somebody in because practically everybody was getting foreclosed on, you know, that was rent material. Yep. So how long were you working with people before you ended up saying, hey, I either know enough or I'm I'm mentally ready to start doing some of this myself. Well, I would say um, I am very cautious. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I took my time, you know, my husband and I were raising our kids. They were very young. Every pity counted, you know, and I was so afraid of making a mistake that took away from our household income that it took me a while. It probably took me a good seven, eight years before I finally like, made a jump with somebody. Um, And even then it was just like in slow increments. I'd say in the last three years, I've turned up the volume a ton, Um, which is, you know, in hindsight, I wish I hadn't been so cautious, Uh, but I think that's kind of what all of us get into um, to a certain degree. Well, I'm going to tell you, you're the perfect guest and I'm going to tell you why, because the majority of people who are listening to this are going through the same thing that you just described, which is like, you feel like you could do it, but you're, you know, there's something holding you back. Yep. And it it took a lot, you know, to make the leap. Um, It took me, let me see. So from 05 to 2010, it took me five years. It took you seven to eight, whatever it is. Obviously it's not a race to kind of do your first deal, but it took both of us a while. And, And there's people that are listening right now that are in that position, they still haven't taken the leap. Yeah. So what, what, what was it for you to say like, okay, this is it. Like I either know enough or I'm ready or what got you to do it? Um, 
I think more than anything, since that first deal was doing it with somebody, it was kind of a JV deal. So for the people that aren't familiar, JV just basically means you're partnering with somebody. Um, and so I didn't have to put as much money in the deal because uh, I think that's the scariest part. I don't know about for you, but for me, just taking that money away from my household and what if something goes wrong? What mm -hmm. if, what if, what if, you know, and then you've got your family on one side or your your friends that don't know anything that are saying, I don't know if you should do that. You know, people who are giving you advice and criticizing or trying to hold you back from making a mistake that they know nothing Thing about that industry. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard to break through those barriers. So what would, so, you know, one thing that I always tell people now is like the, the money will come when you find a good deal. Yep. So what was your value add to that JV? Because obviously if you're putting in just a little bit of money or no money, then someone has to feel like, okay, I'm going to work with Jay Lee and I'm going to get this. I'm putting up my money, but I'm going to get this in return. What was the this? The this was, they believed in my experience. We had worked together long enough. They'd seen me oversee things. And then also I come from a family that has a roofing and construction company. So I do have some sense of that. Um, I do, I did have a lot of knowledge on what I thought finish out would need to look like and what the what the cost would be. And I volunteered the time to oversee it. Mm -hmm. So yes. whereas they didn't have the time and had the money, I had more time. And that's, that's you know, when, when, when you're thinking about your value as an agent, I think there's so many different things that you could bring to the table. Not everyone can bring the construction, but you know, you have the expertise, right. Yep. That, that a lot of people don't have. And, you know, there's three parts of every deal. There's the money, there's, there's the property, right? There's the, mm -hmm. the land, labor, and capital, right? So if you don't have the capital, then you've got to have the, you know one of the other two, right? You've either exactly. got to have the labor or you've got to have the land. So in, in this case, you had the labor and you I guess you found the deal together, right? Exactly. Or, or did you find the deal? Well, I found the deal, brought it to them and it was like, okay, I think this is the deal that I'd like to partner with, you know? Um, yeah, so, so you really, they, you brought... You brought two thirds of that then. So you, yeah. brought, you brought the deal, you brought the labor, and then they put the money in. Exactly. Um, so did you go into that? Was that going to be a hold or was that going to be a flip? That was a flip. Okay. And so at that like, point, you know, we started to see more people being quite, you know, the money loosened up a little bit, you know, by the time I'm in year seven and eight, then, you know, the money's getting loaned out a little bit easier. Um, flips are getting more frequent. Um, there's still tons of deals and tons of foreclosures out there to buy, but um, you're not as scared about, are we going to be able to sell it? Yeah, that was right. So if we're talking 2012, 2013, that was like right when the market started to kind of change. And yep. I remember like putting some of my flips on the market in 2013. Like there's so many buyers out there right now. This is shocking. We can do this. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, a, it was a whole different thing because we, we went through so many years of like, Oh, I hope that five people kind of show up at the open house. And then all of a sudden, I think it was the spring of 2013 where it was all of a sudden 40 or 50 people at most of the open houses. And, and like you said, the, the money started to loosen up too. It was easier to get money for deals and stuff like that. So the first flip that you had that you did a JV with, was it a mm -hmm. successful one? 
it was a successful one. We made good money now because I didn't bring any money and I didn't have any experience with a JV opportunity. You know, that was my first opportunity at that and kind of trusting myself to oversee the job. Um, once it was said and done and we made money on it, the original agreement was that I would take 35% of the profit mm-hmm. and they would take the rest. Yeah. Um, after that deal, um, I've only had a couple of more JVs and that's been with family. And if I JV with somebody and I have to oversee it at all, then it's definitely a 50-50, if not more on my side, because I make more money, mainly 50-50 because I'm dealing with family members, right? Yep. If that makes sense. Oh, it 100% makes sense. Yeah. I mean, so at, as you go along, I mean, like, so we we used to partner with people in the beginning. We won't even do it anymore because yeah. it's like, we, we we look at our dollar per hour, it's not worth it except on, you know, exception basis. But, um, but yeah, I mean, doing your first deal, that's, that's the big thing. And, you know, it's funny because when someone does their first deal, the second deal comes a lot faster. And what you just said, which is like, I think so important that first deal, whatever your split was, you could have got 5%. And gave you the confidence to do it. Yeah. You felt like you, you could do it. So after you did that first one and you, you were feeling good about it, like, did your mind shift to say, like, you wanted to do more investing or was it just kind of like, I'm going to be an agent and if I come across stuff, I'm going to do some investing too? No, it was definitely more investing. And I just, uh, I I stayed uh, in the investment world here in the DFW area. It's a pretty close-knit uh group that's here. I mean, it's a large group, large community of investors, but we do a lot of networking, a lot of sharing of educational material. And through that, I've been able to do quite a few deals as far as flips, buy and holds and that sort of thing. But then also growing my brokerage, like I know you have as well, telling agents, hey, look, we need to, you need to invest in yourself. Don't just go out there and keep chasing that next commission. Build your net worth out there every day. You come across deals every day. Um, So it was kind of dual purpose in that I was chasing my own deals, but I was also trying to grow our team so that they, they would start getting educated in that realm as well. Let's take a quick break from the episode. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. So how many people were on your team then? And like, I mean, how, what's this kind of like the, the size of, or, or makeup of your team? Um, well, my team at the time was just like, five agents, right? So it was me, my assistant, five agents. Now um, I've got 50 agents. Oh boy. um, And we're like trying to, you know, trying to grow things, trying to do the deals within the community. Um, I haven't gotten to the point. I think it was kind of, I feel like after watching your story, you did, you did, mine came a little more organically in the sense that I wasn't really planning on being a broker. I mean, I wanted to get my broker's license, but I didn't want to have a large team that I had to oversee and educate. But once you got a couple, anybody out there that has kids, if you're having a sleepover and you have one person over, it's the same thing if you have five or 10, you're just ordering more pizza. And, you know? and that's, so, that, that, so, so we, we, we crossed, I think we're at like 330 agents, something like that. And that's, that's the thing. And it's like, so, so I always have this discussion with different people and there's no right answer to it. But like, for me, it's like the more, 
agents you have underneath you, the better service and products that you can give. Yeah. So, so to me, it's like, like sometimes people will say to me, well, what if you just had a hundred of the best aging? And I'm like, kind of hard to actually do that. How, how do you, how do you do that? And so that's crazy though. Like 50, 50 is a lot to manage. So are you a team leader or the broker now? I'm the broker. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. And, and it, it's <laughs> tough because it's like, it's hard to be perfect. And, and we, we do quite a bit, you know, we'll, we'll cross like a hundred to 150 flips every year. Mm-hmm. And we always have some every year that we lose money on. Yeah. And I definitely don't focus on talking about those stories, Yeah. but, but they happen, you know, you make mistakes and there's no way to kind of completely avoid it. But the way, the thing I think is funny about this stuff is like, people will go to Vegas knowing their odds are bad and they don't care. No, right? it's, it's fun, right? Yeah. Like they don't care, but they, they won't do a real estate investment deal where they know they've got 95, five odds, 95% odds. It's going to work out. Right. And I think like, you know, the other thing, like my market's a little different than yours. Like your market's a market where you go to flip a house. It doesn't work out. You can probably still rent it and do okay. Yep. You know, so like I look at your market and, and every market's different, but like, it's, it's more of like a fail safe because, Hey, you know, who, what's the risk with owning, you know, a single family in Dallas for the next like 20 or 30 years. I mean, population is growing. You guys have yeah. every demographic shift going in your direction. So, I mean, I look at that as like even way less risk than us because we don't have that. We've got the demographic shifts going away from us. But um, kind of fast forward us to today, like, what are you doing on the investing side yourself today? Are you still flipping? Are you holding? Like, what are your goals and what are you trying to accomplish? My goals are mostly uh, buy and hold right now. Um, You know, occasionally uh, doing a wholesale or a flip, um, but for the most part, just holding on to the properties, doing the Burr method and making sure that, you know, you get out get as much out of it turn around, buy another one, um, keep them rented. Um, I have a lot of agents who do owner financing in Texas. And so that's a really big market here. I haven't broken into that yet. Um, it's, it's one of those shiny objects. I just try not to get too distracted in too many different areas, but right now it's buy and hold. Okay. Awesome. And so do you have any particular goals with that? Like, are you trying to get to a unit count or a passive income count or anything like that? I think more than anything, um, right now it's all single family. And then I'm supposed to close in my first commercial building. So I'm super excited about that. You know, there's always firsts, no matter where you are in this game. Um, And so I'll get my first commercial building. And once that's done, um, I'm hoping to break into multifamily or more commercial um, and go that direction. Uh, Something that's a little less uh, hands-on than the single family rental yeah, market. So what we found with all that stuff, it's just it like to go back to your, your sleepover analogy. Yeah. The more units, the better, because yep. when you have a bunch of units all spread out, the, the management part becomes difficult. Is an issue. And so it's doable, but you know, it's like, you know, trading those uh, greenhouses for the red hotels mm-hmm. and the red hotels are just much better you know, harder to get into more money, all that stuff, but more, you know, foundationally stable. So 
congratulations on the commercial. Is the commercial deal, is it business tenants or is it that it's a commercial meaning like a lot of residential units? Uh, business tenants. So I'll office yeah. out of it. it. It just had like so much added value to it. Um, right now, the business that's in there takes up the whole building. I'll be able to chop it up into a couple of pieces uh, and rent out those other pieces and occupy part of it so they can pay you know, my rent, but then there's land there that we can add more, uh, more office space to. That's awesome. Yeah. So for the most part, like everything that you've done in real estate has some tie into the investing side, um, whether like how you built your brokerage, how you've building your own portfolio, um, how you got clients and, and really everything. So what would you say to kind of like the traditional agent who hasn't had any investment tie-in whatsoever and is working with regular traditional buyers, regular traditional sellers, like how has adding the investing component impacted you? Um, I mean, that alone, it's literally when you're, uh, when you're just an agent and you're just chasing those commissions and there's nothing wrong with that. There's people that make a fantastic career of doing that. I've seen seen some numbers this year that are Yeah. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Um, And depending on your industry, whatever, but you don't, you can't retire on that. You always have to be chasing that next, that next deal, that next client so that you can get that commission. You always have to be chasing it. Whereas if you start investing in real estate, that is the goal is to take yourself out of that picture so that it is producing income and you don't have to actually be right there. You're not, you, you can get to a point where, like you said, is it a, is a number of units? Is it a number of units? Do you want to have, you know, can you retire and go live on a beach somewhere with 10 units? Yeah, you can, depending Mm -hmm. on what your budget is. You can totally do that. Can you do that with 10 clients? Absolutely not. Yeah. And I think that the thing that's like, you know, we, we have a real estate school here too, and we, we take in people that are just thinking about getting their license and they come in for their pre-licensing courses and, we always ask them like, hey, what got you interested in real estate? Mm-hmm. And everybody always says the same thing. They say freedom. Like, I don't want to have a boss. I want to have, you know, free time. Yeah. And then obviously we know what the reality is once they get in. Um, and we tell them this, but, you know, the reality is once you get in, you're you're kind of a slave to your clients. And um, if if any listeners have ever read, you know, Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki, you know, you, when you're self-employed, you own your job, right? You have a job, yep, yep. but you you own the you own the job, but you're still you know working for somebody, and a lot of times with less flexibility. So a lot of times we see people start making money, and then they they never get to that point or never start like building. And when they're when you're not building, you're constantly working, and you can have those big numbers, but again, taking it back to like when they come through the door for their pre licensing, and we ask them the question why. The why is never to make a bunch of money and to work 90 hours a week. We never hear yeah. that, you know, but that's a lot to work of 90 hours a week. I mean, we do with, it, but, but without the planning, sometimes that's the direction it ends up going. Absolutely. And, um, and I've been, you know, as I'm sitting here, you know, up on my mountaintop preaching, I have done that, right? Like, and, and yep. probably some of my biggest mistakes are not holding on. Like I talked about a lot of the flips we, we, you know, we've done and we still do. I should have hold, held on to more of those. And that's why like your plan of, of not flipping them and keeping them, like I think that's the best way to do it because you'll never regret holding them 
You'll no. regret selling them, but you'll never regret keeping them. Yeah. Um, so you have, you have an awesome story. I mean, you have, you know, a pretty, pretty similar story to us and, you know, you, you're in a, a similar direction. Um, any other pieces of advice that you would give to, to real estate agents that are kind of listening to this? Um, there, well, one, it's never too late. Like there's a lot of people are like, oh, the, the market's so inflated right now. There aren't any deals to be had. That's not correct either. There's deals to be had all over the place, yep. um, but you've got to get connected. Um, I think that's one of the things I, I'll get comfortable every once in a while. And especially once COVID hit and I stayed home more, cause I'm not much of a homebody. I, I get out there, I network and I'm pretty social, um, but it did make me stay home more. Um, obviously all of us more, but it got me out of the habit of networking. So I'm not going out as much. I'm not meeting as many people. And now that I'm, I'm back to where you're back to networking in person and going out more and seeing people more. And I've had to force myself to get back in that habit. And I was talking to my husband about it the other day. I'm like, why do I have to force myself? It's always beneficial. Every single time yeah. I go out and end up networking, I come back with either a deal or a connection that's going to turn into something that if I didn't leave my house, it wouldn't have, it would not have happened, you know? So how do you determine like, you know, networking is really like a big, you know, word, you know, that, you know, you can, it can mean a lot of different things. Like, how are you figuring out like where to spend your time? Well, again, um, I think personally, it's so much easier now. You can go on Meetup. You can go on any of these Facebook groups. You can start seeing what they're doing online first and see if they that aligns with you. There's a lot of networking groups out there that I'll never make it to just because I don't think that their message or whatever it is that they're doing doesn't quite align with what I do or what I, I want to continue to do. Um, but if you're interested in it and you like the message that's being put out there, find out when that networking uh, function is or message them and find out, hey, where do you network? Where do you go to meet people and find deals in this area? Because the last thing you want to do is, you know, I mean, our, all of our time is valuable. Um, and most of the time that you're networking, it's nights and weekends. So it's taken away from your family or something that you might rather be doing. So that little bit of due diligence through social media of just putting your feelers out there, doing a little research and maybe messaging a few people that you have seen doing what you'd like to do, find out where they're going and try to shadow that. Mm, yeah. I love that. Um, cool. Well, I want to thank you for, for joining. You have a really inspirational story, definitely a lot of nuggets that you passed along. And I know oh, thank uh, you. our listeners got a lot of value. So um, what's the best way if anybody wants to learn more about you or reach out to you that people can, can, can learn more? Well, they can reach out to me on Facebook. Texel Real Estate is the name of one of my brokerages. Uh, and so Texel Real Estate, um, online in any social media, the, uh, on Instagram or Facebook. And then I also do a YouTube show with, uh, my co-host who's at, who does notes, she's not, we both invest, but she is more of a note investor yeah. and we do real estate divas. Okay. And how do you spell Texel? T-E-X-C-E-L. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, um, I want to thank you for taking the time again. And uh, guys, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Agent Investor Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to Agent Investor, and especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.